the 26th of February 1886 edition of the Milan Exchange is full of crime news. Desperate and cranky criminals, no alcohol for teachers, wife murderers, revenue officers, orphans being robbed, a mob foiled, a man twice convicted of murder, sentenced once to be hanged, and finally acquitted. Please note that some articles use language considered offensive by today's standards. Charles Britting, a desperate and cranky tramp who was very hungry, picked up a large stick while on Main Street and proceeded to mash all the windows in the Dickinson block. He damaged the windows to the extent of $10. Some think this was a nice little ruse of his to get something to eat. He was sent to the county jail at Trenton. The case of the state versus Will Hudson and Joe McRae charged with complicity in the robbery of Dr. M. B. Harris's grocery store, a reference to which was made in these columns last week, was concluded last Monday evening before Esquire's Jordan and Heathcock. The court divided in its opinion. Heathcock was of the opinion that the boys should be discharged, but Jordan thought they should further answer and was of the opinion they should be bound over, and he, being the justices before whom the warrant was returned, had a right to control the decision. The defendants were then bound over in a bond of $250, which they at once gave and were released. Babe Baird, colored, was tried before Esquire Heathcock Thursday for wife-beating and carrying a pistol. He was sent to the county jail in default of his bail. A bill was introduced in the Iowa Senate on the 18th prohibiting teachers, members of college faculty, state and county superintendents, and members of the State Board of Examiners from using alcoholic and narcotic stimulants. Claims for damages aggregating a half million dollars are staring the authorities of the various points in Washington Territory in the face where the recent anti-Chinese demonstrations have been made. The wife and nephew of Peter Higgins, whose remains were found in a manure heap on his farm in Antrim County, Michigan, have confessed to having murdered him. David Wilson shot and killed his wife at Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on the 21st and fatally wounded himself with the same weapon. Robbers entered the house of Mrs. Gracie in Denver, Colorado on the night of the 20th and robbed her of $800 she had on her bureau. They then fired the house, and several inmates who were asleep narrowly escaped cremation. The president on the 20th granted a pardon to ex-postmaster Cook of Unionville, Connecticut, who was sentenced to 18 months in jail for misappropriating $4,000. At Vicksburg, Mississippi, on the 20th, a Negro man and wife named Hart were poisoned by drinking coffee. The grounds were thrown into the yard when a young pig ate some of them and died in a few minutes afterward. Kennard Phillip, aged 40 years, an Englishman by birth and at one time charged with forging the famous Maury letter in 1880, died on the 20th at Brooklyn, New York. Clarence J. Sears, 88 years old, murdered his aged wife near Ottawa, Illinois on the 21st. The old couple differed in their religious views and Sears, who was an enthusiast, recently arrived at the conclusion that his wife was a witch. She was nearly three score years and ten. United States Revenue Officers made a raid on a big illicit still in Etowah County, Alabama on the 23rd and captured a large quantity of material and spirits besides catching John W. Ellis, F.H. Webster, W.P. Witt, and A.H. Cox in the act of operating the still. The jury in the case of John C. Ferguson, who was recently on trial in Abbeville, South Carolina, for the killing of Arthur M. Benedict in December 1884, after being out for two hours, failed to agree. A new trial was ordered, and the jury was discharged.
In the circuit court at Louisville, Kentucky, the jury in the case of John Gilman, charged with murdering Jacob Shower, returned a verdict of guilty and fixed the punishment at 16 years in the penitentiary. George Davis brutally murdered Arch Reams in Russell County, Alabama a few days ago, shooting him twice in the back of, of the head and shoulders, stabbing him twice in the neck and crushing his skull with the butt of his gun. Davis fled and at last accounts was still at large. George Robinson Colored was taken from jail at Monroe, Louisiana by a mob and lynched for having shot a white man in self-defense. James B. Ward, a middle-aged farmer residing in Trousdale County, Tennessee, was arrested a few days ago at Memphis on a telegram from the authorities at Nashville charging with assault to murder. Ward, with his two boys aged about 12 and 16 years, were on their way to Helena, Arkansas. They claimed to know nothing of the charge as preferred. T.J. Taylor, Sheriff of Tipton County, Tennessee, in company with Daphne, Dep Deputy D. Sparks and Don Smith, attempted to arrest Steve Wadley, a Negro, a few days ago near Covington, Tennessee, who was wanted on a charge of grand larceny. The Negro resisted and drew a razor from his pocket, whereupon the posse fired upon him, killing him instantly. Wadley was also wanted in Lauderdale County on a charge of burglary. A notorious colored desperado named James, who had twice escaped from jail at Beauregard, Louisiana, was discovered in his old neighborhood on Bahama Creek recently and was surrounded by a posse of citizens. James refused to surrender and he was shot, seven buckshot taking effect, but he made his escape in the dark. Next day, the entire community renewed the search. They tracked him to Buffington Bryant's house. He surrendered and was taken to Rockport Bridge, where he was hanged to a tree. Regular listeners will recognize this story from a different newspaper, Robbing Soldiers' Orphans. Serious charges against the syndicate which controls the management of the Pennsylvania Soldiers' Orphan Schools, a systematic course of robbery and neglect of the state's wards. Philadelphia, February the 22nd. A morning paper published a six-column article on the management of the Soldiers' Orphan Schools of Pennsylvania, which alleges not only official discrimination, neglect, and corruption, but also that a syndicate is profiting at the rate of $50,000 a year in the management of the schools. An array of figures taken from the books of the institution and from those in the Soldiers' Orphan Department of the state are given to report the allegations. The article says, Though the war ended 21 years ago, and though all the children whose fathers died on the battlefield have long since passed their majority, the soldiers' orphan schools are still maintained by annual appropriations from the legislative body, mainly for the enrichment of a few men whose faces are well known in the lobby at Harrisburg. Strange as it may seem, yet nevertheless it is true, a syndicate headed by ex-Senator George Wright of Mercer, Pennsylvania, profit at the rate of about $50,000 a year upon the management of four schools located at Mount Joy, Mercer, McAllisterville, and Chester Springs. There is evidence at hand that the chief clerk of the Soldiers' Orphan Department, James L. Paul, was a particip participator in the profits of the Mount Joy School and received checks for three years in succession at the rate of $15,000 a year, all of which was charged upon the books of the concern as loans. The state pays a specific amount per week for each child admitted to schools under private management, and the state law requires that the children shall be fed and clothed in addition to their instruction in educational and industrial pursuits. The express requirements of the laws have been literally disregarded. When this fact was called to the attention of the state superintendent of the soldiers' orphan schools, Reverend E.E. E. Higby, 
he remarked, well, I guess, guess they got more than they would have got at home. In some of the syndicate schools, children are packed together in bedrooms and schoolrooms like herrings. At McAllisterville, the boys' bedding was found to be in a disgraceful condition. At Mercer, in consequence of the methods of the management, some of the boys bathed in pickle barrels, two boys to each barrel. At Chester Springs, some 25 or 30 pupils have been deprived of schooling for three months or more upon some pretext. Twelve children were crowded into a hovel at Mount Joy to sleep, while rooms capable of comfortably accommodating six children at Mansfield were vacant. But Mount Joy was run by the syndicate, and Mansfield was not. While Chester Springs was run in other hands, the sum of $1.38 per week per capita was paid for feeding the children, but when Wright, Paul, and George W. Pearson bought the schools last June, Wright said he and his partners would make their profit on the food. All regard for the children seems to have been subordinated to a heartless grab for profit, and this evil influence has been carried to such an extent that a premium of $20 a head has been paid to agents to recruit children for various schools. It is because of this competition and because of the comparative scarcity of orphans that the schools are now half-filled with children whose fathers are living. Of the $350,000 appropriated annually by the state to pay for feeding, clothing, and educating these wards of the state, it is calculated that nearly $90,000 is absorbed in excessive profits. A mob foiled. A plucky sheriff rescues a prisoner whom a band of lynchers had already strung up. Henrietta, Texas, February the 21st. About 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, A.A. Stiegel was taken from the jail to the southwest corner of the jail yard, which is surrounded by a high board fence. He had a rope around his neck, and the rope was thrown over a pole laid across the corner of the fence. Several men had hold of the rope. He was suspended there for some minutes and had about seized breathing when Sheriff G.C. Wright arrived on the scene with a Winchester in one hand held toward the crowd. He cut the rope with the other hand, and the almost lifeless body fell to the ground. Someone used profane language, and the sheriff, thinking the remarks were intended for him, started to draw his gun on the speaker, but someone threw the gun up when it was discharged, and no one was injured. Stiegel will, will live. Stiegel is the man whose daughter declared on her dying bed a few weeks ago that he was the father of her newborn babe for the murder of which he stands indicted. The Law's Uncertainty a man twice convicted of murder and once sentenced to be hanged, finally acquitted. Montgomery, Alabama, February the 21st. James T. Marler, charged with the murder of Dr. William B. Colquitt, was acquitted in the circuit court of Crenshaw County, Alabama, yesterday morning, and one of the most remarkable cases on record is settled. Dr. Colquitt was brutally murdered in his own yard August the 16th, 1878. He was killed by N.A. Redmond. It was charged that Marler hired Redmond to do the shooting and paid him $50. Redmond was in love with Marler's sister, and it was charged that Marler promised also that he would force his sister to run away with Redmond. The murder was one of the most shocking ever committed in Alabama. Redmond was arrested, tried, convicted, and is now serving a life sentence in the penitentiary. Marler was arrested as an accomplice in charge of murder. He has been in prison seven years and seven months on the same indictment. He was twice convicted of murder, once sentenced to be hung, and once sentenced to imprisonment for life. Today, he goes free. This next section of the paper is titled, Over the State. Thieves are again at work in the vicinity of Alamo. The police of Chattanooga 
have at last been paid for two months' service. Barry Williams, a man with three living wives, made his escape from the Benton Jail last week. Mrs. Delia Murphy of Cleveland last week shot and fatally wounded one Lawson for insulting her. Bert Briggs, an inoffensive old man, was murdered by his three daughters in Lawrence County last Thursday. At Paris, Tennessee, last Saturday night, Willie, a son of Dr. S.C. Edmund, shot and instantly killed a colored barber named Hamp Beasley. A special from Rogersville states that Thomas Kyle was shot and killed at that place by Nelson Clay Saturday. The difficulty arose over a woman. The little village of Livingston in Overton County is in a high state of excitement over the elopement of Reverend J.L. Swift, a prominent minister, with Ellen Harris, a notorious prostitute. He deserted a wife and five children. Several Mormon missionaries are canvassing Upper East Tennessee. Two of them attempted to hold services in a Negro church in Guntown, Hawkins County, the other day. The members of the church ran them out of the neighborhood with stones, sticks, and brick bats. One of them received wounds of a severe nature. Thomas A. Clark shot Augustus Cole at Huntersville, Madison County Sunday with a double-barrel shotgun loaded with squirrel shot. Clark waylaid Cole Sunday afternoon, and as he was about entering the store, Clark stepped from behind his house and fired, the load entering Cole's head and face. Cole is badly hurt, but is still living, and Clark has fled the country. Murfreesboro special to Nashville Union. The inhabitants of this goodly town awoke Saturday morning to find, tacked on the doors of most of the businesses, houses a red card which bore a death's head, followed by the hair-raising sentence, Beware! The Mystic League has its eye upon you. Of course, it is hardly worth to say that nobody was specially frightened. It caused much comment and amusement, however. That's all the crime news from the Milan Exchange for the 27th of February, 1886. Please join us next time for A Year of Crime, as reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee.